happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room for Tuesday, March the 13th, 2018. Yes, we are changing a little bit with our dates and times, but I'm excited to be starting a series with some amazing guests. And so I am Wes Fryer coming to you from Oklahoma City, where I am the Director of Technology at the Cassidy School, joined on the East Coast, Southeast United States in Florida by Jen Carey. Jen, how are you and how, how boy, how is life in Florida? Because there's all, at least we're not in the Northeast, I guess, getting walloped by a third, you know, winter storm. We can give yeah, that. Yeah, seriously. Um, winter in Florida, winter in Miami especially is pretty easy to handle. We had a high today of 70 and a low of 52. Nice. Um, so that's how we do, that's how we do winter in South Florida. Awesome. I'm okay with it. And you are the, is it director of special projects innovation? Yeah. Do, do you, uh, did you have one of those jobs where you got to make your own title kind of thing? No, I got a job that, um, my position has evolved to such that it doesn't fall under one department or one category. Uh, they're taking advantage of my tech skills in, in communications and advancement in admissions, um, as well as some special one-on-one -on -one projects for the head of school. And so we just decided we'd call it that for now and figure out, figure out the details a little bit later. Very so good. everything from marketing to data analytics um, and more has been um, under my purview this year. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we are here usually on Wednesday nights and Jason Neifer is usually here with me, but Jason is at that crunch time for his dissertation where he has wisely said, you know, this, this little hobby podcast shouldn't be the priority right now. So he's taking about four weeks off to get that thing done and hopefully defend shortly. And so we've got a series of, of guests and Jen has been on the show before and I'm excited that the Atlas Conference is, is coming up in uh, April, and we could talk a little bit about that. And yes, please. I'm so excited. Yeah. you know who our keynote speaker is? Uh, I'm not sure. It is Donna Oram. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she is the CEO of NAIS. I am That's right. so excited that she's going to be giving our keynote. She is amazing. She's brilliant. Uh, she's been with the organization for many years. Um, so I'm, I'm, when they announced it, I got giddy in the boardroom. And so, were you, were you a founder of Atlas? Were you there at the beginning? Cause it's a four year old or five year old yeah. organization. It's four years old. No, I'm not a founder. The founders are Stuart Poston, um, Kelsey Bruman and Gabe Lucas. Um, I was part of the inaugural board expansion. So I came on the board about a year later and, um, it's been really amazing. It's a, it's a great organization. The three of them had a magnificent vision. Sarah Hanawald, our executive director, has, has done a fantastic job executing it. Um, the new board chair is Jason Ramsden out at Ravenscroft, um, who has uh, just in the few months of his tenure has taught me so much about leadership, about the role of ed tech in schools, the collaboration. Um, if you get the chance to be on the executive board of an organization like Atlas, what can I say? Definitely take it. It's It's been a great experience for me. 
Awesome. Well, we have uh, a wonderful technology director group in the Midwest. And so I had heard about Atlas, you know, right, probably right away as people were talking about professional development. So last year in Burbank was my first opportunity and the way things have shaken up in my situation, I, I kind of have one professional development event um, outside these meetings that that we do have with the regional tech directors. And so Atlas is it. So I'm actually excited excited too, because, uh, well, originally my wife Shelly was going to come as well and help present. Um, she had to take about a week off as her father passed away. And so we had to change plan. But our daughter's going to get to come and we're going to get to visit three schools, uh, take some vacation time and, uh, visit Shenandoah and Emory and Henry. And in between is the University of Virginia, which I just consider that the idyllic academic village when I was at Texas Tech. I got to visit Glen Bull and we had a connection there and just like, Oh, it just seems to be, you know, such an amazing place. So anyway, all all great schools. Um, I guess as a Virginian, my heart's a little more into UVA. Okay. Uh, But yeah, and Atlas in DC, it's going to be at the same time as the Cherry Blossom Festival. So if you have time to stay a little later or come a little earlier, uh, it's, it's great. And spray, hopefully the weather warms up a little. Um, spring in DC is normally quite nice. You never, never know what you're going to get. So, well, uh, hey, we want to welcome Scott Summer, who's in our chat room. Um, we are going to jump into our articles tonight. We Great. are typically talking about the latest in technology news and putting an educational spin on that. And so I actually grabbed four or five of Jen's recent articles that she has tweeted and Several others that uh, we missed last week, so uh, we'll kind of jump into that. But if anybody would like to follow along, in addition to being the chat room, if you happen to be live, but most folks will tune in later, we have all these links at edtechsr.com slash links, and we've got the, the Google Doc there, and I see that Jen is there, and we will just kind of see see where we want to go with this. So is there an article you would like to start with? We'll just open it up to whatever... You want to talk sure. about? Um, so something that was very um, close to my heart, uh, I'm here in Miami. We're um, maybe 40 miles south of, um, of Douglas High School. So we felt that pretty powerfully. Um, and I have to say, as an educator, um, both as an educator and a, an educator that works in tech, there's, um, you know, in addition to the tragedy, what really struck me is how these kids have just effectively harnessed social media. The, the JSTOR article, what Parkland tells us about teens and social media, um, I'll tell you, there's one thing that these kids just made me eat my words on. Um, I was very, uh, I, I very commonly would say, hey, just because kids know how to post a tweet or share an Instagram doesn't mean they know how to use social media effectively. We have to teach them. And uh, I was wrong. Completely, completely wrong. These kids are um, using social media in really effective, powerful, galvanizing ways. And if you haven't had a chance uh, to see what they're doing online, it's it's really quite powerful. And so that's that one is probably the one that um, I've been sharing the most, not just on Twitter, but with some of my colleagues and some of my peers. Uh, I thought it was pretty powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it speaks to how articulate those students are that, yeah, we had, you know, 
some different voices saying these are not even, you know, real kids. These are our actors and, and just, you know, the articulate way that they were able to, to speak out and have been an advocate for student voice and for journalism and for students developing their ability to, mm-hmm. to publish. And I think, of course, one of the ugliest things about this is how, you know, they've had to deal with such trolling and uh, such yucky sides of social media. You know, I'm fortunate and hopefully most educators are to really not live in that dark world of, of, of trolling and social media, but to really love Twitter and the chance that it gives us to connect and learn together. And so when we hear about this dark side, you you know, it, it, I'm for, I'm thankful that for instance, our daughter who gave a TEDx talk, you know, hasn't been on the cover of the New York times because I think if you do get catapulted into mainstream national attention, that's an invitation in a lot of cases to be trolled. But the ways that the kids have responded and have used the platform um, and have effectively brought about some change, right? Because Florida, you all had some some gun control legislation, I think. Was it signed by the governor? This Yeah, and we have a governor who has been pretty anti all forms of gun control. And so they um, initiated quite a bit of change very quickly. Um, not to the extent that the kids were um, wanting, and they they plan to continue their political political agitation. Um, but it has had some effect. And and just to speak quickly to your your statement about trolling, you're absolutely right um, about how disgusting some of this has been. Um, I'll tell you one of the things I've been trying to do to help these kids amplify their voices is I've gone onto the comments section and made an effort. I spend you know. 10 minutes a day just reporting people for abuse and harassment. Wow. You don't, and that's not very much time, but you don't have to be the victim to report abuse or harassment and targeted harassment is a violation of Twitter's terms of service. So if you're wondering other than sending, which is great, you know, a supportive tweet back. um, If you really want to help amplify this, these kids voices and make them feel safe online, um, just spend a few minutes every couple of days or every day if you can and just report the people who are abusing them online. It mm. does, it does make a difference. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I haven't uh, blogged about this yet, but I've just had a couple of experiences that I think show how YouTube as well as Twitter are trying to crack down and sort of tighten the screws on some things. Mm-hmm. I set up a new Twitter account and was quickly flagged as possibly a bot and it was frozen and I had to, you know, do some extra verification things. And then um, it was a little bit amusing on my school YouTube channel. I, I audio recorded a digital citizenship presentation and then published that whole hour and a half on there. And it got flagged as violating, you know, community guidelines, I think because it wasn't a video. Anyway, it was a strike and I had appealed it and then it was taken, you know, it was released right. and it was all fine. But the, the platforms are definitely trying to use algorithms. And then I think we talked on the show, Facebook was like doubling the number of folks, like from 20,000 to 40,000 that mm-hmm. were going to have eyes on these kinds of things. But that's a, that's a great suggestion. And that would be, that'd be a good blog post and good advocacy out in the educational world to say that's a very tangible thing that we can do to try and, and support these kids and also to try to help the, our platforms figure out how how to navigate 
through right. this, right? Because I think we still, we have a, a long way to go and a lot to figure out in terms of how we can avoid the, you know, extremists and the trolls from defining the conversation, from chasing people off of the platform and. Right. Um, You're right. And especially marginalized groups. So um, women, people of color, and of course, children, yeah. uh, people who are especially vulnerable to this type of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, under the, the same headline of social media, um, there's also an article uh, relating to this uh, called YouTube, the Great Radicalizer. Mm -hmm. And this was the New York Times by uh, Zainab Tufeki, uh, I think is who is from Turkey. This was from March 10th. Yeah, this is pretty fascinating. And what uh, what they what she explores in here is <laughs> how you can take YouTube and be watching, you know, some topic, but because of related videos, you will quickly start to see, you know, an extreme view of that, whether it's on the conservative side or it's on the liberal side. And so her contention in this article is that the platform itself really uh, leans towards radicalization and towards, towards the extremes. Right. And so, um, I don't know. Is that alg I personally feel like a, a, a beneficiary of YouTube's algorithms. Uh, really, right. enjoy Apple TV and the recommendations, and I'm I'm feeding the machine pretty pretty regularly with likes. I know that they just track what you watch, but I I do pay attention to whether or not I'm logged in with my normal channel, which is where I, I watch the most stuff. And so, you know, I've ended up watching some great Ray Kurzweil artificial intelligence things and stuff about, you know, Google, you know, some themes that we talk about on our show as far as technology. Um, so I don't feel like I have been radicalized, but have, have you experienced that or, or, you know, what, uh, any, and I guess we could think about right. how, what, how this impacts us in terms of, of school too, because this is right. the algorithm that Google coders have written. So it's something that could be, right. And something to think about, anytime somebody's talking about YouTube, they're talking about Google. And I think we forget how powerful Google is as an information access site. Um, um, means, I can't think of the right word. It's well, number two biggest search uh, engine in yeah. the world. Big, yeah, and... YouTube is two and Google is one. Yeah. Um, so they're our primary means of accessing information. Um, there's benefits and drawbacks to those algorithms. And I think there needs to be it seems like human eyes need to fix part of it. So for example, um, shortly after the teens started getting on um, Twitter, uh, I'll use Twitter as an example, but I, I, there's thousands of others. Um, one of the trending topics was hashtag Parkland hoax. Um, and that stayed up for several hours because a person, it was trending, but a human being had to make the determination that that should not be trending. And that's a discussion, right? Because it gets into, even though these are private companies, there's a lot of discussion about the role of censorship on them. Um, I know Facebook has gotten in trouble because they, they have been actively trying to make people happier on their platform. So trending subjects that are negative, even if they're incredibly important, often don't show up under trending. Um, so a terrorist attack, for example, where people might need the information. Um, I don't know that we've found a happy medium I think the human element in judgment is always going to be critical, but then that's also flawed. Um, I thought, I think we've all run into the problem, whether it's on YouTube or Google or Amazon shopping history, where something has popped up 
related to something we've looked at that we didn't want to pop up. Right. Um, usually at the most inopportune time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think they just haven't figured them out. And these platforms are trying to be edgy, trying to be not so much on the fringe, but trying to be open. But then where do you draw the line on openness discussion and hate speech and conspiracy? Well, one of the big shifts I think we've seen happen, and this was a result in part of the testimony that happened before the U.S. Congress at the end of last year by representatives of the platforms of Google, of Twitter and Facebook, is we have started to see the platforms, you know, step up to the responsibility, which which I believe that they do have. Right. Uh, Because it's interesting, right? If you're an ISP, if you're just providing the connectivity, you know, that is quite a bit different, especially if we're following net neutrality, which is another, you know, issue. But, you know, you are sending the packets. But when algorithms come to play with a news feed and with recommendation engines like YouTube has and things like that, um, I think there is a great deal more responsibility. And so, in what we hear, you know, Zuckerberg talking about and the way they're trying to address this, they're walking a line, right? Because the longer we're on YouTube, the more money Google makes. The longer we're on Facebook, you know, the same thing. Right. And those companies, unlike Amazon, which wants to just get us to buy things to ship to our house, I mean, they are really advertiser driven and they're, they're competing for our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of um, talking about this. Um, Logan Paul, you know, who did, who had the video yeah. of the suicide force and all that and how that stayed up for almost 24 hours. And it was actually not taken down by YouTube. He took that down. You know, was that kind of thing to happen again today? Hopefully, you know, Google and YouTube specifically are going to be more assertive about taking that kind of thing down. But the quantity of information here, I mean, I think Perhaps I'm, I'm hopeful for artificial intelligence, not to just, you know, completely come to our uh, rescue, but that algorithms and machine learning are going to, they, we know they're going to continue to get better and that those along with human eyes can really assist in, in all of this because it, you know, especially trending, right? You'd think there's got to be people sitting with eyes on, all right, what's trending? Is that legit? Because that's right. going to, you know, snowball as people see, oh, what is, you know, what is Parkland host hoax, you know, and they click on that. Right. Um, are, are you guys uh, at school in terms of computer science doing some things with ethics or digital citizenship or how does that fit in with the kinds of things you all are doing with students? So we're having some discussions about that right now. Um, we currently have a pretty traditional digital citizenship program. Um uh, although I, we're definitely rethinking it. And I think we're trying to be more mindful about what kids should be learning in the ed tech realm. That's why I really like the article on here about cyber hygiene, right? Yeah. Well, why don't we go to that when you want to talk about yeah. that? Yeah. And what's really, what I loved about it is it moves away. Uh, and one of the things that I find frustrating um, on that stranger danger, internet is a dangerous place um, message that we send to our teens too not just teens, but younger kids to such an extreme degree, but that I actually think it's somewhat harmful um, that we ignore a lot of the very real threats that kids have online having to do with security um, and cybersecurity. Um, and so EdTech uh, was education week highlighted that they're starting to teach kids about really important things like phishing or identity theft 
all of which are now um, at, have hit a crazy peak. Um, I'll tell you um, a story. My my boyfriend runs his own business. He woke up one morning and his cell phone service had been turned off. And he was like, that's really weird. And he checked his email and got, had this email that he had a bank transfer that had gone through. Um, he had been a victim of identity theft. And uh, many of us, by the way, have been with Experian and all these other things. They had ported out his phone number and used it to gain access to his bank account. And that kind of stuff is becoming more and more common. And people don't tend to realize that this is a problem until it happens to them. And so teaching kids about the realities of security, not just like have 80 million passwords, remember what they are, using things like a password manager, like one password, learning how to identify a phishing attack, for example, learning why it's important, even though it's a little annoying to enable things like two factor authentication. Um, all of this stuff is really more vital than we realize. And what I, what I find shocking is how many adults as well as kids are kind of ignorant on those things. Um, I'll, you probably hear this a million times. The latest iOS update comes out. How many people do you know who are running like two versions behind? Maybe more. And, and they tell me it's because of the security. They think it's more secure. And I have to point out, no, you need to update. Like, don't do it like the second it comes out. Wait an hour. And if it doesn't brick anyone's phones, update. You need no. to, I, I bricked my phone once for that update. Um, but we have to start teaching them about the realities of cybersecurity, especially as it's our information's out there more and more. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't know if you've seen this digital citizenship website. We, we launched at school in January. It's digsit.us, but it is focused on short videos and then converse questions that mainly our middle and upper division faculty can use during advisory to talk with students about issues. And um, we haven't gotten the contribution part of that going, but part of the idea is that when an article comes out or a situation, the Parkland social media is actually excellent, right? That's an excellent case study to talk about the realities of social media, talking, I love that, about what we could practically do to be able to report and, and actively assist in reducing trolling and some of that that negativity so students could create a narrative slideshow that would be short and then contribute that because because of the dynamic nature of this the logan paul thing came up because i didn't i had not really heard much about that mm -hmm. but you know way over half probably closer to three-fourths to 90 percent of our high schoolers and middle schoolers knew about that and and then the adults are just kind of like what 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 are we talking about right. so there's things that are coming up uh in popular culture on social media that like pranking culture that's a whole thing that is good to talk about the responsibilities right. that may go with if you're sharing that and it is you know where do you draw the line with pranking etc um so anyway i i am totally on that bandwagon. And it's been something um, pretty exciting at our school in terms of, you know, seeing where wellness and health and, you know, concerns about screen time and those things, you know, can come together with a, with a lot of other topics. But, you know, we need to find time to talk about those and then to empower and equip our teachers with with confidence to be able to have that discussion and not say, well, I'm just going to wait and let, you know, the technology teacher or let the school counselor or psychologist or somebody else handle that. So 
Um, I, I think that's not what I'm presenting at, at Atlas or I won't be presenting about that, but I think this is a flag and a banner I want to keep on not only working on at our school, but the presentations for, for parents that we did, I did a couple weeks ago were well received and you're exactly right. There's a lot of parents when it comes to password management, two-step verification, they're not there, right? And so we're, we've required Pardon me, all of our faculty and staff, and we did this over a year's time, you know, to finally everyone's on two step if they're an employee and mm-hmm. we're, we're doing more single sign on and things like that. So it's stuff that with a story like yours, you know, definitely touches home when you talk about identity theft and, you know, money taken. And mm-hmm. um, I can imagine, I mean, if, it, if your house is actually burglarized, I, I'm sure the trauma of that, maybe you never even lived down. I don't know what that looks like for, for cyber. But, right. Uh, at least well, he was he was quite lucky. He was able to get everything back fairly quickly, and including it highlights the importance of your phone number. Um, in fact, they say they're saying now that phone numbers are the new social security numbers. Yep. And his big fear was he wasn't going to get his number back because that was his business line. He'd had that number for a decade or more, um, and there were just additional security measures he wasn't even aware of because someone walked in with his name and social security number and walked out with a new phone. And, and so it turns out now, if, and I enabled it as well, I now have a six-digit passcode for my phone for any changes that I make. Are you all on T-Mobile or who are you guys with? We're on T-Mobile. Right, because T-Mobile, and this, this is something a tech director, so I was in Ohio giving a presentation about digital citizenship a tech director here in Oklahoma had seen a Reddit uh, thread about how T-Mobile, because of the Equifax breach and those socials going out, that some people were saying you you needed to you mm-hmm. know call T-Mobile and get this additional PIN because right. if if you didn't, then people can gain access. And so I waited to. I'm trying to think if I've sent that out to our faculty or not, but I mean, that that happened like two weeks ago. I think T-Mobile sent a message to everybody and said, Hey, you need to add this, this additional pin and layer of of insurance. And I think if you want to be super secure, the recommendation is not to use SMS or text messaging for your two factor, but to use a USB key or some, an app or something else. Authenticator which I have right here. Although, do you know what my authenticator is for? I'm going to highlight what a big nerd I am. Uh, Amazon. No, um, World of Warcraft. Look at you. Wow. Uh, I have had an authenticator for Warcraft for about a dozen years because it was a great target for digital um, materials. People would hack accounts and sell them. You're the only person I know who, uh, yeah, that, that definitely, I, that's I'm a litmus test. The only person of, you know who admits it. I guarantee you I'm not the uh, only person. I know some others. Okay. I'll, I'll do it publicly though. But that's yeah, good. my issue with authenticators, cause I had one on my phone for my WordPress. Um, I reset my phone and my authenticator reset. Yeah. And so the only way I had to go through WordPress again and I got it set up, I had to set it up through SMS. Yeah. It's so nothing perfect, but I think the most important thing is to be aware. And the minute, because Christian was lucky, the minute he knew there was a problem, yeah, he was on the phone dealing with it. Absolutely. Um, well, think think about if you were on vacation, you were off the grid, you know, I mean, right. that's, hmm. And many of us, and also I happen to be home, um, many of us, we don't have a landline. So he was on my cell phone most of the day. Yeah. But... 
Yeah, I, I think cybersecurity is more important than anything else we teach our kids. And I think we spend maybe five minutes on it. Oh, have a have a good password. Don't write it down. Don't share it with people. Yeah. No, that's yeah. We've def- we've definitely promote you know said complex, unique, um, long passwords. You know, mm-hmm. the longer the better. And use use a password manager. La- uh, LastPass is what we ask people to. We don't tell them to. You know, we're not going right. to manage that. We're not taking liability responsibility, but strongly encouraging. And that's a it's a matter of personal survival for me as a tech director as well. Oh, yeah. Because the most charged and you know tearful and near tearful conversations I have with faculty usually involve uh, an Apple ID and a password that hasn't been put in a long time. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, my, my reminder at those times, which I don't know how much it helps is that if it wasn't hard, it it wouldn't be good security. So part of the reason, you know, Apple's making that painful is to really, you know, try and put up some barriers and, and not allow people to just immediately have access. But the password manager has, in some cases, you know, saved some some major angst. And um, we've had, you know, at least one case where somebody's had to start over because they didn't save it. And we're like, print this password, put this with your passport or your social security card, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, yeah, I to- totally agree. Well, why don't we hit, there's two more articles there under social media, and then we can jump to another topic. But uh, Wired Magazine had an article on March 11th, bad actors are using social media exactly as designed. And this was uh, mostly a reference to, you know, Russian hacks on our election, but saying, Interestingly, we'll call them bad actors and call it hacking or, you know, black hat negative hacking when it is, you know, something we don't approve of, like Russia subverting our democracy. But actually, you know, they were using the tools as they've been created and provided for everyone to, you know, set up, hey, who would you like to target? How do you want to get your message out? Um, and that, you know, I was talking to our, our, uh, 14 year old tonight about, these are issues we still are going to have to deal with because the the platforms are trying to, you know, tighten the screws, but fundamentally, you know, that whole thing about Facebook, that's, that's why it's such a profitable company because it puts these incredible keys in your hand. If, if you're an advertiser and you say, you know, I want to target people who are so many miles away from this location who have said they like this, this, and this, I mean, it's have have you done any Facebook advertising or or played a little bit with the interface? Yes, it's it's one of my special projects is social media marketing. And yeah, oh my god, it's great. Um I can specialize micro targeting for advancement, I can do it for admissions, um, I can do it for donations, and every audience I've created is different. Um and so yeah, that is great, and I can absolutely Wired hit the nail on the head, right? This is what they do and it's what they advertise. They do well and they do it well. And it's part of the reason why we, we have to really consistently teach both kids and adults how to critically assess information and regularly update it. Let's face it. Propaganda is nothing new in this country. It goes back to our founding fathers who used to buy their own newspapers to print material about each other. Um, it's just faster and it's shared more quickly and people believe it. Um, get familiar with fact checking websites. PolitiFact, Snopes is one of my favorites. Um, confirm things before you post it, especially if something you agree with it way too much or you disagree with it way too much. Those are the two things that when I see that, I'm like, okay, I better check that. I, I like this way, way, way too much. Um, and just get in the habit and also read 
even if it's digitally reprint magazine, uh, print news. Um, every day I read the Times, the Post, um, the Wall Street Journal and the Herald. And by read it, I don't read them cover to cover, but I at least check out the first few pages. And it keeps me on track about the realities of what's happening in the world. And I think that's important to keep you grounded. Absolutely. Well, the last article in that series is a Guardian piece from March the 4th, um, mm -hmm. has dopamine got us hooked on tech. And this references back to the Center for Humane Technology and articles we've been seeing about you know, breakup with Facebook and the Tristan Harris, I'm trying to remember the name of the other founder of, of the Center for Humane Technology, but they're the former Googlers and Facebookers and, and people who are, um, you know, pointing, pointing out that, um, like a slot machine, social media is engineered to take advantage of our biology, the desire we have to, you know, not be sure what's going to happen. And then mm -hmm. this is talking about chemicals, you know, and that, there's, you know, chemistry happening when, when right. we open up our app and, and we see some likes or we don't. And I've, I've heard some stories about, you know, how they can sense if you're about to, you know, turn it off or whatever and you might get a, a blast of likes or, you know, see right. something else that's going to be able to, to get your attention. So just on a personal level, how, how do you guys deal with that? Jason, uh, Knife, I guess they have a deal in the, at, at their home where they, they keep, you know, kind of all the devices out of the bedrooms and they just, you know, push those aside. We try to have, um, you know, no screens, I guess, during mealtime. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, are do you have rules for yourself in terms of your screen time or because or, mm -hmm. that, that's something talking with parents too. totally right. not just a kid thing. This is an everybody thing, you know, and 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 sometimes parents play right into it with young, even young toddlers where they're like, oh, we're at dinner here. You know, here's this this. You know, screen, be quiet for a while. Right. Um, no, I, and in fact, I think adults have a harder time regulating their screen time than kids. Um, what I've noticed, at least with the young people I work with every day, um, I try to be cautious about articles like The Guardian's. Um, I kind of feel like smartphones are the new digital boogeyman. When we were younger, it was television, right? We were all, we all grew up um, being taught by the idiot box. We were supposed to be the generation that was, going to be completely lost because we had been dumbed down by television. Um, and now I have friends lament that kids don't watch television anymore. They're always on their smartphones the same way. And, and I'm like, that's wow. Yeah. Um, I think, I think balance is important. And I think if you children sometimes have trouble regulating their behavior, that's why my mom had to set a firm bedtime with me. That's why you don't give your kids dessert for, you know, the beginning of the meal. Um, and so it's important to set special boundaries and regulations. Face-to-face -face time at dinner is great. I physically turn my phone off when I go to a movie. I don't put it on silent. So I've gotten more into the habit of that because I've noticed if I have it on vibrate, it's too easy to just glance at it. Right. So I just turn it off. Yeah. Um, and I think those kinds of boundaries and rules are important. Now, I still sleep with it, but only because it's my white noise machine. Hey, but our Google Home has become uh, our Google Home Mini. We, we're uh, having a thunderstorm in our our bedroom every night now. So. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, you're right. I could. Uh, we have an Alexa dot, but that also brings up that great article you had on um, Alexa creepily laughing at oh, all. Laughing, yeah. Before we go there, do you have any parents who are who are onto this? Wait until eighth. I drop this into the show notes. 
it's uh, parents to take a pledge that they're not going to give their kids a phone until eighth grade. We have a group that is, is it, when you say the smartphone is the new boogeyman, that, that's kind of it. You know, they're saying that, that is the problem. And we're going to pledge not to, you know, let that in our children's lives until the least, the last possible moment. Right. So they're, I, they're the new parents who don't let their kids watch TV, right? Um, cause we had those parents when we were kids. Now I'll admit I watched way too much TV as a child. Um, but. I, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, we do not have any parents in that realm, or we have some um, sixth and seventh graders with very sticky fingers. Um, because I think the challenge for a lot of parents, unfortunately, is um, they have trouble disconnecting from their kids. And so oh, yeah. the, the kids having a cell phone, I think, is less about the kids and more about the parents, too. And I think that's something for parents to really, really think about it. Um, there were some great articles uh, a, a couple months ago. That article came out about um, positive, um, causative impact of kids on social media and depression uh, or kids on mobile phones and depression. And some of the best responses to it I saw um, actually addressed the fact that really we have parents who are on their on their tech too much and on tech instead of parenting. Um, so the challenge is we're, we're both in schools, right? How many you give a kid a test back, that parent knows the grade before it walked out of the, the child walks out of the room. Um, and parent, I was babysitting at 12 with my parents on a landline away. I have friends who won't let their 16 year olds babysit alone, um, even with a smartphone. And so I think cell phones have made parents a little too connected. And I think that's really the bigger danger. Um, I'm, I'm not going to criticize anyone's parenting choices about delaying a smartphone for their child. Um, just like I can't criticize anybody who says we're not going to have our child watch TV until they're older. You make, I think we all do the best we can. And so, um, and I know quite a few teachers who would applaud knowing a kid wasn't going to have a phone. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I think <laughs> we are going to have folks resisting the move to become transhuman, which is, you know, that's a Ray Kurzweil sort of thing, but that is, I think where we're headed because these yeah. things are augmenting our brains and mm -hmm. Not implanted, but they're really becoming a, an integral part of how we process the right. world and how we you communicate. And so it is a good question to think about what limits we're going to put up for ourselves and right. what is healthy, right? Because handing the same smartphone to the fifth grader or younger, I think we've had first graders with phones before, um, you know, it's like, wait a minute, they, they really should probably have something more developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. I think those questions are important, but it's it's an interesting thing that we're navigating. Part of what we're wanting to do also is just amplify other parent voices. So those yeah. voices aren't aren't the only ones, you know, that are speaking to this issue. Because I think a yeah, a more balanced approach where we're talking about, you know, we will handicap our children if we are not equipping them with the uh, the opportunity to learn how to make good choices with these tools. I mean, even right now at homework time, you know, we've some parents were talking about how they've changed their their dining rooms into the collaboration space. And so they're they're really trying to hold on to that old day where we had one PC and it was in the kitchen and we all could right. look at the screen. And so anyway, it's it's really valuable to have parents having those conversations. Yeah. After spring break, we're gonna have some sessions where we're gonna have students as well as parents come in and, and do some sort of turn parent share and talk. And I, oh, I did that I at our that. at our church and and it was successful. And so we're going to do that and separate those, you know, by divisions.
I'm um, excited to hear how that comes out. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, because that's what we've decided is the litmus test of digital citizenship success, conversation. If we are being a catalyst for conversation with teachers and students, students and students, you know, parents and students, parents and parents, that's really what we want to try to do. Right. Um, So. And with with some extreme exceptions, I think there are very few one size fits all answers for digital citizenship. Um, Oh, definitely. Right. We can check a box. We can say we're common sense certified, but yeah. you know, are we having conversations and do we have mechanisms in place where we can have conversations come up as they're needed? You know, it's just in time kind of thing to say, whoa, we've, you know, and then to also not overplay because we're, we're in that saturation point, I think, with a lot of cyber attack and a lot of, you know, I mean, how many, how much bigger can the attacks get beyond, you know, Equifax now? I mean, just. I think Equifax, that, that's it. Everyone's info's out. Yeah, right. And, Absolutely. Um, oh, and oh, what was it? I had a thought and now it just went away. So keep going. That's okay. Well, let's jump to the, <coughs> pardon me, that AI article. So this is New York Times on March 8th. Amazon knows why Alexa was laughing at its customers. Did, did your Alexa laugh at you? At a weird time, we weren't expecting. Do you ever? Yeah. So that? I'm gonna call her because she's in my living room. Oh shoot! I'm sorry. I, that's right. Um, I didn't call her name. Madam A, which Madam is a, that's right. my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts called The Internet of Things. Madam A. Um, no, Madam A did not laugh, but she has periodically spoken up in a ways that are kind of creepy, um, and she does remind me that she's always listening to me. And you and I are, are quite informed in like. We have an idea of what we're bringing in and what we're giving up as a result of, of bringing it in. Um, I'm always a little concerned about how many people don't, but I've decided the ability and ease that she's given my life with some things makes that trade off worth it. So for example, I live in a house built in the twenties. So my light switches are all in the middle of the room. So to turn off a light switch, I have to turn off the light in the middle of the room and then walk in the pitch black <laughs> to leave the room. And so I've done is what I've done is installed some smart switches and some smart plugs so that I can have Madam A turn on and off lights for me. Um, those are that's just one example. We've got a few others, um, but there's some reality of what she is listening to and what she's doing with that info. Because let's be honest, Amazon is not um, not being particularly transparent with that, and they're not an altruistic company. Uh, I'm not saying they're evil. I'm I'm saying, you know, they're a business. They are out there to make money. And and the same with Google. And so I think this is something to keep an eye on, to be mindful of, and and possibly to lobby. Uh, One thing I, one of the reasons I stick with Apple, not just because I'm a big Apple fangirl, but Apple has been pretty consistent on its policies about privacy. Um, They won't give up your data They will fight to keep it, in fact, in controversial situations. Um, So, but I think it's important that we all consider what happens with our data and what rights we have over it. Oh, absolutely. And there is an important advocacy side of that. Back to where we started with Parkland and students and student voice. I think there's really important advocacy under the realm of digital citizenship, which goes beyond net neutrality and includes that. But it does enter into this realm of of regulation. And we don't have any articles this week about the, the I think it's the GDPR. It's this new law in Europe that's going to put constraints over where data can be saved and, mm-hmm. you know, there's implications for schools with all that. But I think 
you know, just having it be the wild west of, you know, just make it quick. You know, what, what do they call it to put it out there and see if it breaks or whatever the, you know, Silicon Valley kind of thing about just, we're, we're just out here to, to publish stuff and throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And you've got a platform with the reach and the power of Facebook. Um, you know, that can, that can be a dangerous mantra. And so I think that there is going to be, and I know this is, this is tough, but an appropriate role for regulation when it mm-hmm. comes to data privacy. And some of it, I think, has to do with like we can today, and we might not go to Equifax, but whatever, we can go to one of the credit agencies and we can say, show me your report. You know, what do you think you have about me? Can I contest that? I can see it. And if it's incorrect and I have um, a legal um option to to be able to contest things and get that record changed. Well, today there's this vast cloud of data that companies have collected about us and we cannot see that. And whether we're going to CVS Walgreens and buying something with our, you know, value card or, and that may seem innocuous, but all of the pieces get stitched together. That information gets sold. And, you know, now the law has changed in the United States where ISPs can sell data. There was, yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of the podcast, but they just did a study. They used a Raspberry Pi, but they were actually, they, they set it up to do a man in the middle attack so they could capture all the data, but they were wanting to know, even with, you know, SSL encryption, et cetera, with a complete smart home, with everything, you know, blinged out as much as it could be, what kind of information would the internet service provider be able to collect about you and then potentially be able to sell? And so it, it really is a wild west. I mean, with cryptocurrency, it's the wild west of mining, you know, literal, you know, currencies. And, and I think we've got the wild west happening with data and there's lots of money that's being made around this as well. And so sort of like as the frontier, you know, pushed west, we we had civilization, you know, finally move in and we had, you know, law and law and order, you know, come to town and and try to establish things like due process and the rule of law. And so I I think that that similar kind of thing is happening. Um, when you talked about uh, Madam A, um, I, we we only have the Google Assistant, so I'm not as attuned to it. Normally, yeah, we are on the no, show. No, no, it's it happens a lot. I know. Uh, Joanna Stern, who is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal, has a fantastic video, and I put a link to it under the Amazon article. Um, Facebook re- really is spying on you, not just through your microphone. I actually disagree. I mean, because they're connecting the dots. I had a weird experience that. Um, I was eating Cheetos one Saturday morning and my phone said, avoid, you know, binge eating tempting foods. I was like, what? And I had the microphone enabled on some fitness apps. And so I, I do believe that it heard the crunch of the Cheetos. And, and so it wasn't, it wasn't Facebook actually doing the spying, but the way in which they tap into this cloud of information, um, it's, that is a great video though. In fact, I'm going to put that on our digital citizenship website because they have these people dressed up all in these blue mm-hmm. masks and everything with a Facebook, you know, white F and then holding microphones and, and pretending to be Madame A, et cetera. And so that's, it's also a kind of thing about urban legends. You know, we have parents showing up saying, wait a minute, I heard that they're just recording everything you say. And it's like, well, no, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, because still... I mean they obviously can't store all of that, right? That's way too much data yeah. to store and transfer. But what they're capable of doing and keeping, 
Um, and in fact, your story reminds me, uh, uh, was one of the fitness apps Strava? Uh, I don't think so. And so quite famously in January, Strava got into trouble because they're one of those fitness apps that like you can create like a, a jogging map with them. Right. And uh, they released a secret military base. Yeah, actually, I think several. Um, there was some in Africa that were notable, but like, oh, hey, look at this. Yeah, cool. and so this heat map had been created, and and Strava's an opt-in. You have to opt-in to say, yeah, I want this data. But then they revealed this pretty sensitive location. Yep. Um, and so I, I do think there needs to be some type of regulation, and stuff like that is going to make it come. A grad student in, in Australia, I think, actually grabbed the data and then put that together, you know, and then released that to, you know, the chagrin yeah. of, of our military services. We need to tell the punchline to the article. So the, the New York Times Amazon article uh, said that Madam A, they've changed the algorithm. So you can't just say Madam A laugh. You have to say you, something else and then it will respond back to you and then it will laugh. Yeah. So it had to Madam do, A, can you laugh? Can you laugh? That's right. That's right. So in fact, this is, I'm writing this blog post. I haven't got it out yet, but like, the smart assistant truly brings us into Harry Potter world, right? Because just as, you know, you can think of Ron and Hermione and they're learning to say Aloha Mora and say that just the right way or when they're doing transfiguration, these other things. That's how it is today with the smart assistant because you, it's an algorithm. So you must say it the correct way. And I'm listening to more of my podcasts on the Google Home. But the way that you say it, even the thunderstorm thing, we have to uh, some, sometimes I think we have to say get thunderstorm sounds and that works. So it's really talk about a magical time. You know, I don't know. Analogies. It's not magic. It's technology, but but it is an algorithm. And so being able to speak and, you know, change what's happening in your physical environment and then, you know, listen to podcasts is quite quite the revolution. That's awesome. Um, Peggy said in the chat room, she agrees with you about the Apple and privacy points. You know, my thought on, you know, I don't know if you'd realize this. I, I switched over to Android in uh, November and I don't know if I'm going to go back or not. And some of that has to do, well, I went to Egypt and it had to do with customs and not wanting to have data sucked off. And I, I didn't have a burner phone that I had left there or something, Right. but it also has to do with AI and my, my strong sense that, Apple is so far behind, you know, the HomePod mm -hmm. and with Siri. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. Apple is definitely, you know, hugely profitable. And, you know, they're kind of facing the innovator's dilemma, perhaps, because they're so successful with, with that iPhone product. But um, one of the most important things, I think, as, a, as an Apple fan and a watcher, is going to be able to see if they can figure out how to get their artificial intelligence to, you know, be at a level that Google and, and Amazon and other companies are. And you would think they could buy it, right? They've got huge loads of cash. So you'd think they'd be able to do better with that. Well, and they did, they did first, right, with Siri. Right. Um, and I mean, I, I've been telling people that Apple's become the new Microsoft. In what way? Can you elaborate on that? Uh, because remember, Apple had to innovate itself into survival. In fact, they survived because Microsoft paid them money to yep. survive. Um, and Microsoft for the longest time was this 800 pound gorilla. It wasn't doing anything interesting. Um, its machines were clunky. Its software didn't work half the time. Um, but they owned 95% of the market and had a gajillion dollars in the bank. Um, and now Apple is the richest company out there. 
Uh, well, one of them, right? But they do sure. have micro, they have Microsoft money. They're sitting on billions of dollars and they don't have to be as innovative to survive. Now, Microsoft has made a comeback, right? Microsoft's had some really amazing products, uh, that I've seen lately come out. Their Surface, um, it's actually like a computer that looks kind of like the iMac, but it slants down so that you can draft on it. It looks like a drafting table. I forget the name of it. It was incredibly impressive. Even their new office suite, especially OneNote, has has gotten great. Um, so I don't think Apple will be down for the count. They still do some things better than everybody else. But you're absolutely right on the AI on the AI part. And and I won't buy a HomePod for the for that reason as well. Oh gosh. Well, yeah. And and like we have we we bought the the Home Minis when they were thirty bucks. So we have four. I mean, we're not even going to buy one HomePod, much less you know two. So right. let's segue to Apple, though, because I dropped an article. It was a C- CNBC from March 5th. A cheaper MacBook Air makes perfect business sense for Apple. And there was another article I think I just saw yesterday that was echoing this in terms of the rumors, right, about what's coming out. And so the, the rumor is maybe 700 to $800 MacBook Air that's going to have a retina screen, um, hopefully still have, you know, regular USB. That has been something for us at school <clears throat> as we refresh computers. You know, we right. stuck with the air because, um, you know, my, my article laptop here is a, a regular MacBook with the USB-C, but that's not a, that's not a viable option for our teachers that are still, you know, you know, some plugging in smart boards and USB drives and all that kind of stuff. Right. So do you, um, you know, see this as uh, having educational impact, and where 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 are you all in terms of of laptops and things like that for for teachers? Right. Um, so we are still a Windows school. Oh, you are. Yes. Um, and I don't foresee us changing that anytime soon. Um, and but in terms of the new MacBook Air, it's one of those things. Um, I've noticed since Steve Jobs died, they leak. Um, Apple leaks a lot more than it ever did. So I, I saw that on Mac rumors as well. And Mac rumors had a much less favorable response to it. They thought that the MacBook Air needed to die. Um, but I don't know. Until I actually see it and what it looks like, um, I can't make a call on that. Um, it's interesting that even though we are a PC school, our kids get to bring their own devices. I'd say they're 90% Apple. Um, Do Chromebooks fit into your computing landscape at this point? Do what? Do Chromebooks fit into that landscape? They do not. They're not robust enough for the things that we do. Um, and they end up becoming way more problematic. So again, since we don't own the student devices and our grade starts at sixth grade, yeah. um, laptops definitely work far better for us and, and real laptops. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what Apple, what Apple comes out with. I'm actually more interested to see what the new iPad looks like. Well, and I'm fascinated to see, because you mentioned Microsoft and the Surface, how <clears throat> Chrome continues to evolve with its touch tablet. Right. Uh, when I was in Ohio, I saw Eric Kurtz do a wonderful three-hour workshop on Google writing tools. He recommended the Acer Spin 11, and it's not called capacitive, but there's another word for it where you can rest your hand on the screen, and it doesn't you know, mark from your palm. It still mm-hmm. knows the stylus. And I think as that technology continues to mature, you know, Apple right now has a has a big bet in addition to saying privacy and maybe not as much on the data sharing. They're saying keep the touch separate from the laptop. And I still yeah. love my iPad. 
Um, I still read on it a lot, but will that be forever? You know, and if, if this device could just pop off and, and I can have, you know, that by itself. And I, I think that Microsoft and other companies are where the innovation is happening mm-hmm. around that. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see because the other rumor, actually, I didn't put that link in but is cheaper iPads, which is almost like you're going, what, Apple? But but that did happen with the fifth generation iPad, right? We can get those right. 329 devices for 300 educationally for 32 gig. And so that's the first time that I think the price has ever gone that way. So if that price comes down further, I know that Apple is is continuing to battle, you know, Google in big ways in schools. And as someone who manages both iOS as well as Chrome, as well as Windows, as well as Mac. I mean, we're a mixed, mixed environment. Um, I definitely, you know, see, see the importance for Mac to continue to make the, the management side. It, 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 they have not had the impetus for that because they've wanted everyone to have one to one. And, and so anyway, the shared environment with the Chromebook is, is just still, uh, a pretty am- amazingly. Yeah. No, easy absolutely. to manage environment. Shared with Chromebook, uh, they do it better than anybody else. I, I just wish the devices were more robust and more computer-like. Yeah. Um, and I'm totally with you. I really wish Apple would make uh, this. I don't know if you played with the Surface Book. Um, it's the high-end Surface. Um, it, it costs We've got a couple of them. Bucks. Yeah. Um, it is nice. It Have is- you guys had trouble? Do you are you you're a Google campus? Yes. Have your Surface Books had any trouble with the Google file stream? Because that's been the most perplexing challenge we've had is it, it, is, it will disable and and we have a ticket in with Google and they say it's coming, but that's been. Um, you know what? I don't know that we use it enough that and we've only got a few of those Surface Books out there as a pilot. Right. So I'd have to go check. Um, right. But I, the group that's we should talk about that off air because the group that's using it, um, I don't think it's going to be using stream very much. Well, and we've just, we only have three of those devices and we've yeah. just, we're, I have not blasted out to everybody install file stream, but in the last two weeks, Google has just started to do pop-ups much like Apple is good at doing that, right? Getting you right. to refresh and saying, Hey, time to update your, your uh, software. You know, Google is now saying to the enterprise customer, you know, install file stream because that's, right. that's your solution. It works with team drive, et cetera. Well, right. And surface books, if I recall, they don't play nice with just about anything. To be honest. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's kind of where we're at with, with that. So we, we can talk offline. It is the top of the hour. I, I promised you we weren't going to go an hour and a half. Um, so we're going to need to, to do some geeks of the week. Um, and I, uh, I will go first. And if you uh, look at you, you've got one in there already. Um, my first one really quick is actually Michelle Freeland, who is our, um, lower and middle division librarian, uh, shared this one this morning, uh, PC, magazine pre-order the pricey Glowforge 3D laser printer. And it's really a misnomer because this isn't just a 3D printer. This is a a laser cutter to cut wood, fabric, leather, paper, cardboard, acrylic. And the price, the price of coming down on this thing. So, you know, the, from an $8,000 down to 4,000, but also the fact that it sounds like you don't need to have uh, expensive external venting because that's an issue with laser cutters and, and, and if you're buying a massive one, you know, you're, you're going to, but it sounds like they've got some air filters that are built in that are going to enable you to, uh, perhaps 
be able to use it a little bit more like a 3D printer where you're not going to have to have to have all of the external venting. But definitely the prices are are eye opening there. And I think from the maker spaces we visited, the maker, you know, we don't have uh, we have 3D printers. We don't have laser cutters yet. But it really seems like if you want to outfit a maker space and equip faculty and staff and, t- and students to be able to print quantities of things and then do it at a larger scale, a laser cutter can turn things around a lot faster than a typical 3D printer. And it's an important you know, piece uh, within a makerspace. Right. So the other thing, and this just dovetails with what we were talking about with social media is <clears throat> we've been having uh, good success and pleased uh, to use gaggle safety management. This is something that Oklahoma City schools and a number of our area schools utilize. And it uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to look at emails that are sent within the Google domain, Google documents that are shared, Ooh. as well as um, the calendar um, entries. And it, it doesn't cover chat inside documents. And so it's not comprehensive for everything, but they've got three different levels. So a low level violation might be like the use of profanity. Um, a, se- a mid-level is going to be something that's more serious with bullying or possibly pornography. Um, that, and then the third level is going to be imminent harm. So that's uh, suicide risk, uh, violence at school. And so the notifications are set up so that, you know, your, your building or campus divisional administrators are notified. If it goes to that top level, they call you on the phone. And then, so they've got machine algorithms that look at this and then they have humans that look to verify and, and have a way, like if, if some, if a student's use profanity, they can get a little, a message that you authorize that you say, yes, gaggle, you can send these. So anyway, that has been great. And we were able to negotiate for pricing, um, similar to what our, our friends in the public schools nearby have, have utilized. And that's, oh, awesome. that's been helpful. And so anyway, on the whole uh, thing of, of social media, you know, we, we want to have those conversations. We want to be aware of, of that. And, and I would just commend gaggle to folks who are running G Suite or my, uh, 365 because it will integrate with both of right. those platforms. That's awesome. I'll have to take a look at that. We got um, rid of a system we'd been using because they started, uh, they wanted to go even more enterprise for businesses and they uh, they bundled it with so many other services that we couldn't use and balloon the price. Um, and so I'll, I'll take a look at that myself. Um, cool. All right. So my, I actually put three quick things in here. Um, one is something I've been using for, um, actually for Atlas, uh, a lot lately. And it's something I cannot recommend enough. If you work in a team, um, check out Slack. Um, if, if you haven't tried it, if you're a member of Atlas first, we do have a Slack channel. So email Sarah Hanawald to get access. Um, but if you work on a team, if you are constantly sharing documents, you need to ping people back and forth. Um, I have become a Slack convert, so check it out. Um, the other thing I have for teachers, if you moved away from Google Sites because it was, let's face it, Google, you could identify a Google site a mile away and it was difficult to use and it, and it looked very dated. Um, the new Google Sites, my students just have started using it on a project has won me back over. I have to say it's clean, it's fresh, it's easier to use and navigate. Um, Definitely check it out. Can you map a domain to it though yet? Have they added that? 
Do you know? Um, not in the terms of can I create my own Google site and call it like jencarry.com. But like even a subdomain to do like um, you, you know, wiki dot domain. Um, you can a little bit, but again, I could put like, you know, whatever the Google site is and, and put like Jen Carey's history class or something like that. I, yeah. Cause nowhere near, I think what you're looking for it to do. Well, yeah, it's just the C name mapping. Cause that, that's, that's why, what I'm waiting for. So as well right, as the but, tool to migrate. So. Yeah. But this is perfect for in class assignments. Oh, um, definitely. You know, an in class blog, especially since you can tweak privacy settings at the hmm. page level. Okay. Um, as well as at the site level, which its is its own blogging platform or just integrated with Blogger. It you it has a blog page element to it. Um so it's not it's not going to be truly blogging like Blogger, but um trust me, play with it. You'll you'll like it a lot. Good. Um and the new sites, it just takes you a 3 seconds to get it together. It works mobily, which is the other big thing. Um, so if you just have tablets at your school, um, you can, you can edit it. You could kind of edit it on an iPad, but it was painful and awful. Um, and it's observable easily and students can collaborate on it, which is another thing that I really like. Um, so most of my kids have been using Wix or Weebly, uh, because they liked it and they thought it was easy, but they couldn't collaborate. Um, the last thing I just want to tell people to play with this, um, feature, cause I didn't really sit down and do it until the Olympics. I think augmented reality is going to be the next pretty big thing, um, in, in classrooms, not necessarily VR, but AR. You've probably been introduced to it with Pokemon at the very least. Um, if you Snapchat, there's lots of AR, but one of the coolest things I saw was the New York Times put out, um, a special augmented reality edition for the Olympics where you could put the athletes right into your living room and then use your phone or tablet to zoom in and out. What? It was so cool. So the speed skaters, you could zoom up on their skates and look at them in detail. What? Um, I'm not kidding. It was, you could do that on your phone. You didn't have to have like a headset. Nope. On my phone. I just used my phone and was like, Ooh, look at, look at the guy's speed states. I'm not lying. So there's a lot of different augmented reality tools out there. Like Ikea, lets you put augmented furniture into your living room. So you have a space, you want to see how a chair will look there, you can do that. That's great. There's more augmented history talks coming, walks coming out. Um, now those tend to be limited to bigger cities like New York, LA, San Francisco, and places that have a lot of history. So you'll have them in London. Um, but the reason... I, I want to point that out as one is I think the consumption apps that are out there already have some great features. Um, but if you are looking for that next level of coding to bring to your classroom, um, because we have kids who take the AP computer science in 10th grade. And what do you do with those kids after? Right. Um, and the AP computer science is, let's face it, for them, just a, a formality because they're well beyond it. I think if you can, if you have that group of advanced kids who want to play with something, augmented reality, um, and there are there are tools and engines for you to create in it. Awesome. So um, check it out, um, play with it. Just go to the, every. I know the um, iPhone has a setting. I'm sure the Android has store has a setting where you can just sort by apps for augmented reality and see what's there. Um, I will say it's not going to be available on all phones and all tablets. You have to have a pretty good camera um, 
to use it, but, and, and a pretty good um, chip in your phone, but it's pretty cool. I'm not like the New York times thing. I don't get blown away by tech stuff very often. And the New York times thing, I was like, Oh my God, yeah, this is life changing. So, um, play with some augmented reality. I, I don't think that you're going to be able to get anything ready to plug and play tomorrow, but I think it's going to, I think that's the next big thing. Sounds good. Well, right. we've gone a, a little bit past the top of the hour. We'll wrap up. Uh, we want to thank Peggy and Scott for being live in our chat room and uh, sharing links. And we want to encourage you all to come back next week. We'll be back on Wednesday night. And special guest will be the amazing Carl Hooker from Austin, Texas. And oh, I'm excited I love Carl. to get to connect with Carl. And we'll be, I think, at our regular time, uh, 9 p.m. Central. So please uh, check out our show notes. Um, check out our links at edtechsr.com slash links. Jen, where can people follow you, connect with you if they'd like to keep learning with you? Sure. I think the best thing would be on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at the Jen Carey, one N. Um, you can look at my blog, indianagen.com. Um, I have not been as active on blogging as I, as I should be. I've just been swamped, although... You're absolutely right, Wes. I should write something about um, reporting harassment on Twitter. That's and a great post. Yeah, um, that's a great topic. So send me topics I should write because I think that's what really happens is I just don't have the time to sit down and brainstorm uh, as much as I, I as much as I should. I should make that time. Yeah. Um, but the at the Jen Carey on Twitter is the best way to find me. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you all so much, or thank you, Jen, so much for joining us. Um, I'm W. Fryer on Twitter, speedofcreativity.org. I've actually, <coughs> pardon me, got a, got a podcast published. Uh, it was like my longest, my longest one ever, an hour and 20 minutes, but it was three different interviews. And so periodically, you know, getting some posts and definitely check out the digital citizenship uh, yeah. website, digit.us. And if you've got students that want to contribute, uh, we've got a contribution form there and would love to, you know, get those Get those conversations going and encouraging collaboration across districts because there's great curriculum out there. Common Sense Media, other groups have, you know, fantastic things, but there's also just going to be topics that will come up um, that we need to talk about. And uh, media short videos are a nice way to set the stage. And then with some suggested questions, you know, we feel like that's that's a good format, hopefully, to encourage more teachers to take on these topics and to, to get the conversation going with with students and parents as well. Uh, not just a one-way delivery of, we know how to keep you safe, you know, stay away from strangers. That is important to talk about, but there's so many more aspects mm -hmm. that, that we all need to be talking about because we're probably not living, you know, either in as, as much balance and, and wellness and, and all that with our screens or because our, you know, digital hygiene with our passwords and all those kind of things need to be improved. And right. so, anyway, thanks everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye.